Hello, it's 17th of April 2017 and this is episode 25 of Scavengers Horde, Star Wars podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Kirsty. We're here to deliver a regular rundown of Star Wars news, analysis and commentary with a focus on the sequel trilogy and the future of the saga. So, <laughs> this is going to be quite the episode because this is our first full episode after Star Wars Celebration. Uh, and it's been a pretty great few days if I don't mind saying so myself seriously I am so hyped and I've thought about hardly anything but Star Wars (laughs) over the last few days and it's really bad because it's Easter and I'm with my family and don't get me wrong I've been spending time with them and interacting and stuff but it's really easy to let it consume you because it's so addictive and there's just so much coming out that I just feel completely overwhelmed by it. But in a great way, it just is like a bomb coming over me. It's really nice. Um, but yeah, that's enough about my experience the last few days because they're nowhere near as interesting as Kirsty's because Kirsty has actually been at Star Celebration. Uh, and I, <laughs> I'm sure you're fed up with people asking you about this by now, Kirsty. But what was your experience like? Can you summarize it in a few sentences? Oh, I just had a fantastic time. I'm kind of sad to be home now. <laughs> oh, <laughs> go back to the still real world. Feel like, yeah, exactly. Like the real world where you can't just talk about Star Wars obsessively with every person you come across. But uh, I had such a great time. And But even now, like I feel like I still have a ton of catching up to do because I'm sure you ended up actually watching more of the panels than I did because I went to the main panels, like the, the anniversary one and The Last Jedi. Mm. But all of the little ones I've missed. So I feel like I need to spend a few hours catching up with stuff now yeah i've actually only seen in full the 40th anniversary and the last jedi panel as well Um, oh okay because i was traveling on the saturday and after that i've just been at home with my family so like engaging in star wars stuff has mainly been a question of looking surreptitiously at my phone (laughs) okay um well don't worry we're about level i think yeah, after we finish recording, I'm probably going to go and watch the Rebels one because I hear there were some exciting reveals there. But yeah. Um, yeah, like the Saturday and Sunday, I mostly spent like meeting people and hanging around on the convention floor, like looking around the exhibit hall and stuff. Yeah. Um, because obviously a big part of celebration is meeting other fans too. It's not just about the panels and the news. So yeah, trying to find that balance because the first two days were mostly about queuing and those two panels. So. Yeah, I was, I was going to say that must have been so refreshing to just not have to queue all day yeah like i have to go around at your own pace yeah there were a few panels that i kind of wish i'd gone to but it was just not feasible like i otherwise i would have spent so much time in line Mm. and you just kind of feel like you're wasting your time so yeah gotta pick your your priorities i guess yeah no exactly um right we obviously going to have very detailed conversations about (laughs) what came out from celebration shortly so you have that to look ahead to um And in the meantime, there's one very important thing that I don't think we've had a chance to discuss yet. And that is that we actually won the Best New Show Award in the Star Wars Podcasting Awards. Um, So yeah, we were absolutely thrilled about that. So thank you so much to everyone who voted for us because it really means a lot. And it's so, so amazing to get that kind of recognition so early. So thank you. Yeah, thank you, everyone. I still can't believe that, to be honest. Yeah, it was such a wonderful surprise. So thank you, everyone, for the support. We, we're really grateful for that so no it's awesome um and yeah just as usual um if you have a moment it'd be great if you could rate and review us on itunes because that really helps us out and if you've already done so thank you so much um it really helps us along 
And on this episode, we're not going to do questions because, as I'm sure you can imagine, there are a million and one things to talk about from Celebration. So we obviously want to prioritise that rather than following the usual format. Um, but if you have questions for next time, please do send them to scavengershorde at gmail.com and we will get to them when we can. Okay, and then to move on to the first thing to come out from Celebration, which I think was actually released like the day before, like it was announced just before the event started. Yeah, I remember reading about it on Twitter while I was in the line. So it was the Wednesday <laughs> night. I think it came out at like midnight. Yeah, no, it was um, a really cool announcement. I can't help but wonder if it's the kind of thing where they announced it a bit early because they knew it was inevitably going to become overshadowed by what was to come mm. with like The Last Jedi and stuff. Yeah, it's possible. I think it's probably a smart move. Um, right, so yeah, we are going to touch upon, first of all, the announcement of Forces of Destiny, the new Star Wars animated series. And this is from the StarWars.com website. It goes, Rey, Ahsoka Tano, Jin Erso, Princess Leia, Sabine Wren, and other icons of a galaxy far, far away will take centre stage in Star Wars Forces of Destiny, a new animated micro-series and initiative celebrating some of Star Wars' most beloved and inspirational characters. Announced by Disney and Lucasfilm today, Star Wars Forces of Destiny launches in July with a series of animated shorts, two to three minutes each, on Disney YouTube, exploring all new adventures of the fan favourites. A two-part TV special featuring eight additional shorts will follow on Disney Channel in fall 2017. Significantly, Daisy Ridley, Ray, Felicity Jones, Jin Erso, Tia Sarkar, Sabine Wren, Ashley Eckstein, Ahsoka Tano and Lupita Nyong'o, Maz Kanata, narrating the series, will all reprise their roles for the show. Hasbro is set to launch a line of Star Wars Forces of Destiny toys, including new adventure figures, a fusion of traditional dolls and action figures. The toys are 11 inch in scale and feature multiple points of articulation as well as dynamic action, including Rey swelling her lightsaber. Villains such as Kylo Ren are also on the Rey. Um, and I don't think it's mentioned in like the particular part of the press release I read, but um, I know there's also going to be a Padme short. Um, I'm not sure there's going to be a Padme doll, but I'll just hope so, because if not, that is a serious missed opportunity. Because <laughs> mm. with all those costumes, you know, like what little oh, girl wouldn't sure. want to dress up a Padme doll? It's, yeah, I'm surprised no there hasn't been one already, to be honest. Yeah, like th there are lots of Padme dolls out there, but they're really old ones. They're like from when The Phantom Menace came out. Um, yeah. They did like a line of what were basically Barbies um, dressed in Padme's clothes. I have one because I gave one to my niece. <laughs> it's pretty badass. Um, but yeah, what did you make about this announcement? Like, were you excited to see this? Yeah, I was. Like, we'd heard about the Forces of Destiny uh, name being trademarked by Lucasfilm a while ago. So we were all speculating on what it could be. Um, but it's just so cool to see this, like something that's clearly just marketed primarily for young girls. Mm. Like, I feel like this is the first of its kind, right? Yeah. Like, for Star Wars to do that. Because obviously, you know, it's a big deal to have Rey as the protagonist in the sequel trilogy. But to kind of bring all of these female characters together, I'm just I'm just really excited to see these shorts. And, and I saw the dolls at Celebration. Um, not all of them. I, I didn't see this one, this Kylo Ren that they're hinting at. Yeah. Um, but they looked awesome. Like, I love oh, that idea so cool. of having the blend of, like, a Barbie doll and an action figure like they just looked like uh, if I was a little girl I would be absolutely thrilled to have those to, to play with yeah 
no, I must say I'm actually more excited about the dolls for this series than the actual animated shorts. I'm sure the animated shorts are going to be great and really cute. But because they're obviously going to be so brief, it's not like they're going to be particularly substantial or easy to cling on to in terms of story. I think it's great because of what they symbolise, like an actual initiative to have something that's very unabashedly targeted at young girls. I think that's awesome and I really welcome that. Um, But yeah, I just love the sound of these dolls. And I was actually thinking about them today because I was playing with um, like the Elite series, Ray and Kylo, with my niece. Mm. And she loves those figures when we were having great fun playing with them. But there's just all these problems because she was playing with them in her doll's house and she wanted like Ray and Kylo to sit down and have tea and, <laughs> <laughs> and like the kind of things that little girls want to do with their dolls. But because they're more like display figures and they're intended to stand up, they don't really bend very well. <laughs> so yeah. they wouldn't sit down in the chairs. Um, but these kinds of dolls, they'd probably be designed for that kind of thing. Like have like tea parties. <laughs> um, yeah. And I just think that's really, really nice because it's like really fun that children can engage with Star Wars in that way and like integrate like these dolls into their games when they might not normally think about having like Star Wars dolls that could do those kinds of things, you know, alongside having Star Wars figures that just do all the traditionally cool things like the action orientated moves and stuff. I think it's just going to be really nice because it represents the best of both worlds. Yeah. Yeah. I just think it's awesome news. And like you say, like they can be played with in things that aren't necessarily Star Wars specific. It can be like this, you know, crossover thing where Star Wars just just becoming more and more a normal part of little children's lives because it's like they've had such an emphasis on action figures for mm-hmm. decades now. Like, you know, Star Wars kind of led the way for that kind of cross-merchandising thing. But it's, it's, it kind of draws attention to the fact that um, there hasn't been this kind of emphasis for uh, marketing for girls before. So it's yeah. really cool. And, and about time, so... Yeah, no, awesome. I'm really excited for it. And I saw some great gift sets of like Daisy holding her doll and go like, oh my god, yeah. amazing. <laughs> yeah, exactly. That must be really exciting for her to see as well. Yeah. So I, I've said before, like I was kind of surprised that there wasn't a Ray Barbie doll to come out in the Force Awakens merchandising. It just seemed kind of to make sense, you know? Yeah. It's like even Jupiter Ascendant had freaking Barbie dolls. <laughs> oh, it did. <laughs> it did. Yes. <laughs> well, well, they weren't actually Barbie. They were by Tonna. Um, mm. But they were literally Barbie style, like fashion dolls. And it's like, yeah. I'm sorry, but if a movie like Jupiter Ascending, which obviously was never going to be destined for box of his greatness, gets Barbies, <laughs> Force Awakens should also get Barbies. Yeah. So, yeah. I wonder who these other villains will be besides Kylo. <laughs> You're a dark yeah. Barbie. <laughs> <laughs> now with extendable horns. <laughs> you know, the world needs it. Uh, yeah, that's actually a good question. Um, it would be cool if they did like female villains like Venturus and stuff. Oh wow, yes, that would be awesome. It'd be super cool. I also wonder if they're going to do Kylo masked or unmasked, because mm. I know again thinking back to my niece, I know she much much prefers having like unmasked dolls. You know, I think it's important for children, especially younger children, to see faces and stuff. I think they engage with faces in a way they can if it's just like a dude in a mask. So. Yeah, I'd li- like to see it unmasked, but we yeah, it's it's possible that that's why they haven't released his doll yet because they were waiting for people to see him unmasked in the Last Jedi. Yeah, that's very true. Yeah. So they'd probably do it as a Last Jedi tie-in thing. Mm. Um, and yeah, and that brings us neatly on to the Last Jedi panel. Um, 
and yeah, again, I think it'd probably be a good idea to have a little preamble from you here, Kirsty, because you were there in the room at the time when this panel was going on. And it must have just been such an amazing experience because I was watching it from home on the stream and it was already just like such a transcendent, amazing thing. <laughs> I was just so buzzing from it. And I was like, I can't believe this is real. And it was really yeah. Um, was it just incredible to be in that room it was it was so exciting and like everyone I was with obviously like everyone in that room had lined up overnight so we were kind of exhausted but I you know I said on the like the little quick podcast we did in the week um that Brian Johnson had come out the night before and like said hello to everyone and signed our stuff and taken photos of us so it was like we we knew that they were just as excited for it as as we were Mm. um and it was just such a great atmosphere. Like the crowd was really responsive. I'm sure you heard that over in the live stream, right? Like everything was being cheered and yeah. was so excited to see all this new stuff. Um, and they ended up having to show the trailer twice because I think they knew that we wouldn't be able to take it in properly the first time. And obviously <laughs> everyone's watched it over and over again since then and tried to speculate and figure out what's happening in which shots. But um, yeah, it was great. Like I'll never forget it. And I have that poster now, which is super exciting because I loved the poster. I am so jealous of you. <laughs> Sorry, I wish I could have grabbed a second copy. Oh, but... no, 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 don't worry. It's not jealousy in the way where I curse you, Kirsty. <laughs> I'll never forgive you. <laughs> I'm really happy you have it. It's just, it's such a beautiful poster. I heard that people were listing them on eBay and they were going for like $500, which is <sighs> insane. That is insane. It is a yeah. pretty gorgeous poster. <laughs> yeah, mine will not be for sale, though. I'll be keeping that forever. So. Yeah. I think I'm just going to go straight to the reproduction version. <laughs> yeah. It's like, eh, not fussy, as long as it's good quality and it's, it, all its beautiful gorgeousness. It's actually my lock screen now. Um, oh, mine too. <laughs> oh, really? <laughs> nice. Yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, we will have a proper full-on discussion about the poster in due course. Uh-huh. Um, right now, we're just going to talk about the panel. So that basically just means the stuff that was said at the panel and like how it was structured and whether you think they were like interested in missions and stuff. Yeah. Um, I was so excited when Josh Gad came out. I, that was something I was not expecting. Yeah. Did you know he was going to come out as soon as they started showing the clips from his No. Videos? I had no idea. <laughs> like, this probably seems really obvious in hindsight. But yeah. I was just like, oh, cool. They're showing the videos that went viral. Oh, yeah. These were funny. <laughs> and then he walked out. I was like, oh, my God. That's awesome. <laughs> as soon as I saw him come out, I thought, wow, those social media videos were like a great like job interview for that you know it's like yeah. a great demo he's <laughs> like yep yeah i can do I mean, this obviously he's already in there with disney yeah um, olaf <laughs> yeah and lefou as well yes it's true um, it's very yeah, good as so, LeFou, actually i just thought he he's did a great job as host like he's really funny and seemed really relaxed and obviously he and daisy have like a genuine friendship so yeah, yeah it was just an awesome choice i thought it was really nice. Did you notice that they edited out the what's the deal with Rayla question when they were showing the clips from at the beginning? I did and I wasn't surprised. <laughs> like, it'd be weird for them to mention a ship name. I know that they were kind of like later on they were like, you know, not not like wink wink to Storm Pilot a little bit. Yeah. But um I don't think they would ever say the Storm Pilot like name, you know. So yeah, I, I don't, and I don't think it was the only thing that they'd edited out. Obviously, they were just kind of like giving us glimpses of it, and oh yeah, most yeah, people there had probably watched those videos at some point. So oh sure, yeah, no, it wasn't the only thing that was omitted. Like I, I think it's that in particular. It's just one of those things that if you'd brought up there, it's kind of a bit of an elephant in the room hanging over the things as well. You don't really want that. I think they know that it's quite a controversial thing right now. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like best to avoid. Let's not talk about that right now. 
Yeah. I mean, they they didn't. They barely talked about Kylo at all. So. Yeah. Yeah, so. That's going to be one of the interesting missions discussed. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, I, I guess, like, the first comment that was made that I felt was really, really cool and I just loved was when Ryan was saying about how Carrie, like, basically helped him in the script. Yeah. I, was, I that loved awesome. that because obviously we know that Carrie helped to refine the scripts for the earlier Star Wars films. I think in particular The Empire Strikes Back, she really helped to like sharpen up the dialogue, um, particularly for Leia. And it just really shows by like how witty and sharp and everything Leia is in that movie. Mm-hmm. And it just makes me so excited to think that she also had that kind of input on The Last Jedi. And did you like that, Kirsty? I did. And... You know, Carrie is a fantastic writer and I just think, I can't imagine like a better way to have like Carrie and Leia involved with episode eight as like her last film. Yeah. I just, I'm. it made me, like I, I was already, you know, excited to, for Ryan's writing himself because he's very talented too, but like mm-hmm. just to feel that those two are partnering on that is really special. Like I'm, I'm even more excited for it now. It's really cool. I do wonder if she's going to get any kind of credit for that like additional dialogue by or something she deserve it it'd be really yeah i'm not i'm not sure of how that stuff works like the extent of someone's contribution and Mm. like that but maybe yeah we will have to see um i mean i wouldn't be surprised if they dedicated the entire film to her memory so yeah no they should i i bet that's probably gonna be the first screen to come up like maybe even before director like at the end of the movie like in for carrie or something yeah it'd be very appropriate um yeah and then one of the most interesting comments to come out from the whole panel was daisy speaking about ray mm-hmm. and she said in the last jedi we go deeper into ray's story and what is very apparent from where we left off in the force awakens is ray has a certain expectation as to what she might be getting from luke and what that might entail it's difficult when you meet your heroes because it might not be what you expect hmm. yeah so, and i remember watching the like live stream and as soon as she'd said it daisy was like that's a lot right <laughs> and i loved it um because yeah. i do think that's quite a lot actually it's very telling um because it makes it clear that it's not all going to go like nice and easy and all be like peachy and bright and happy um between ray and luke so i think a lot of people just expected there to be like a relatively uncomplicated like master and pupil relationship there but that's not the vibe we're getting yeah, like I, you know, I feel like it would almost make her relationship with Han redundant if she'd had that same kind of like camaraderie, uh, fatherly figure feel mm. with Luke. You know, it has to be different, and it has to be also for the sake of making Luke a very interesting character and have to have a meaningful arc in the story too. Because if he's just kind of just sitting pretty, well, one, it's like, well, why is he on Act Two in the first place? Yeah. And two, it's like, well, Ray turns up and, okay, the problem's solved then, I guess. You know, like, that's all it takes. It's just those two being together and they can magically solve whatever the problem is. So in our quick review after we watched the trailer, I alluded to the part in the heroine's journey called Confronting the Powerless Father. And that's kind of where you can picture Ray is at by the end of The Force Awakens. You know, she's... Uh, had her descent into the underworld and she confronted Kylo Ren and obviously defeated him. And then um, she comes back up and goes off to find Luke, who is going to be that father figure, like mentor figure, right? Um, But he's not in a good place 
like that's really obvious when you see him at the, the end of the force awakens he has such a troubled weary expression um and you can see that as like a setting up the tone for episode eight where things are not going to go so easily between them and ray has such a an optimism and hope which could arguably be misplaced right that she's kind of pinning her hopes on this person who she thought was a myth like he's so fantastical and otherworldly to her but something has gone wrong in luke's life and we kind of got hints at that from when han was talking about kylo ren his his apprentice who destroyed everything and luke felt responsible but we don't know why he felt responsible so i think that's that story is going to be what comes out and it's going to shape Ray's understanding of the force and of her antagonist and her new mentor figure as well. So Mm. it's all going to be very interesting. And I think it's going to really propel Ray's growth because like she's had struggles, but she has to have this point where she really starts to figure things out for herself. Yeah. Um, And I think this was kind of the thing that Daisy was um, alluding to I saw another interview that she did with um, Steel Saunders I don't know if you saw that one. Oh no what did she say um, she was saying like you know so much has happened like, I can't remember the exact quote but she was like Ray needs some time for herself now she needs to catch up and kind of figure everything out because she has all these powers yeah. and everyone is probably going to be telling her how to use them mm. and presumably that everyone is going to be Luke and Kylo Ren <laughs> like we saw on the on the poster they're obviously heavily talking about the fact that those two are going to be trying to influence Ray in some way, yeah. shape, shape her understanding of how best to use these powers. But that's something that she has to figure out, right? Yeah. She, she can't let anyone else make that decision for her. And that's about her growth as a character and an individual. So, yeah, no, totally. That's a really great observation. And yeah, it, it does seem to be like another tick box essentially that's been checked in the heroine's journey <laughs> breakdown. Mm-hmm. Um, we probably need to get Natasha back on at some point, actually, because she did a great meta on the heroine's journey and how it related to The Force Awakens. Yeah. Um, and, yeah, I, I only see that becoming more and more relevant as the story progresses across the subsequent films. Because, obviously, a lot of people, quite naturally, because, obviously, they think back to Joseph Campbell and the hero's journey from the original trilogy, they expect that to be the trajectory that Ray is on as well. Um, and there's obviously like heavy elements of the traditional hero's journey but i think it's can't be overstated that ray is a heroine like as much as she's a hero it's also about her experiences like a female character and a young woman like as it is like about her being like a generic hero because yeah like that's what makes it special and i think one of the things with star wars is that as heroines they are like always feminine it's not about denying their femininity or cloaking that in any way it's about accepting that and having that be an important aspect to their characters as well yeah definitely and it's it's the heroine's journey but it's also a heroine's journey with a young male antagonist and i think that kind of gets overlooked as well yeah um that it's because you know like when i first heard I, i'm going off on a tangent now i know but when i first heard that we were going to have a female protagonist mm. i i wondered if it was going to be like a gender-bent version of the original trilogy where you had that father and son dynamic yeah and obviously Kylo Ren was kind of masked and hidden away. So I was like, is that going to be like a woman under there? Whether she's <laughs> Ray's literal mother who she got separated from. So it's going to be like a very much like the original trilogy. Yeah. Or someone in that kind of like evil stepmother kind of in- incarnation, you know? Yeah. Like a that Cinderella archetype. thing. Yeah, but but that's not what's happened at all. Um, so, I, you know, fairy tales, it's very important to look at the gender and age of the characters and it kind of gives you a clue as to where things are going. Yeah. And the fact that Kylo Ren is of the same generation as her and Luke is the older figure, 
I think it does have implications for the narrative that maybe not everyone is quite picking up on. Yeah. No, it's super interesting. And yeah, I'm so excited. <laughs> like, I think Daisy's comments on Ray, they just got me even more hyped for that character and what they're going to do with her because it just reinforced to me that it is going to be very much about her coming into her own yeah the last jedi and i think that's something we really need because in a way i feel really sorry for like both daisy the actress and ray the character because so much of the conversation has just focused on the single issue of her parentage (laughs) rather than like who this character actually is as a person and what her hopes and desires and dreams are like all of that has become completely secondary to just this single monolithic question yeah and I, f- I personally find Ray as a person and what she's going to decide to do with her life, that's much more interesting to me than who her parents are. And I think that's what Daisy's trying to get across. I think she's frustrated and she's trying to say, uh, actually, Ray has a story and there's going to be all these bumps and intrigues and like surprises along the way. And there's just so much more to her than like what her surname is. <laughs> yeah, it honestly makes me a little sad. And you can see Daisy's getting increasingly salty about it. And she had that funny response about like Jabba the Hutt meeting a girl and <laughs> yes. creating Ray as his child. <laughs> because it's just like, how many times are people expecting her to answer that question? Because they know she can't answer it like point blank. Yeah, She's under an NDA. But like, yeah, there is so much more to this character than who her parents are. Like, And I think that was part of the point of The Force Awakens that... I know I'm preaching to the choir here. <laughs> you know, she said, like, I'm no one. She, the point is that she starts from nothing and she has these powers and they're hers, you know? Yeah. And I think it just highlights the problem with if she were to be a legacy character, it's like, okay, so that makes sense. Like, the only reason she's powerful is because of who she, where she came from. Yeah. And that's, that's Kylo Ren's problem, right? Yeah. That he had that weight of legacy. So to give that to the hero as well just does not make sense to me. Yeah. He has to learn from her. Yeah. Um, I don't think you need yeah. two separate young characters with wrestling with those same issues. There's something repetitive in that because obviously in the original trilogy, you had Luke and Leia and they were technically twins. But that only, like, that was only conceived of as an idea when the return of the jedi was being made and it had no ramifications really for leia's story leia's story in the original trilogy is a very different type of story from luke's definitely and so it's not repetitive at all like because there's not that like thematic similarity whereas if they were to say make ray and kylo cousins then they'd immediately be dealing with very similar baggage we're like oh god we're grandchildren of anakin skywalker darth vader what does that mm-hmm. mean for us how do we cope with that and yeah, there's just some redundancy in that, which is another reason of many reasons why I don't think they're going in that direction, especially yeah. based on all this new stuff to come out. There was another interview that Daisy did with ABC after the panel um, where she said, or someone was asking her about like how, how did she react when she first read the script? And she said she went to Ryan's office and was like, I think we need to talk about what's going on here. Mm. So she was obviously quite surprised at what he was doing the character. And Mark Hamill said, he actually went even further and said, at first, he fundamentally disagreed with how Ryan had written Luke. Yeah. Which is so interesting. It's fascinating. Yeah. We're actually going to have a discussion about that later. Oh, sorry. I'm jumping the gun. <laughs> no, don't worry. It's fine. Like, it, it, it does all tie in because obviously it's all part of the dominant narrative. It's just I think those quotes are so interesting. They probably merit, like, discussion, like, in their on their own terms as well. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. And then to move on to John and Finn. Um, 
the comments like John made about Finn himself, they were very, very like Finn, uh, obviously because he's not allowed to say much. Um, but it was the basic substance of what he was saying is, yep, Finn gets up, he's conscious again. Spoilers! <laughs> <laughs> um, and yeah, it continues that question of is he going to continue running from the First Order or is he going to firmly be part of the Resistance? Um, so yeah, no big surprises there. They brought up Storm Pilot, although I think they called it like the special relationship between Finn and Poe or something. Um, yeah. Yeah, and it, it was interesting to see them deal with that. So I, I think they know that it's a big deal in fandom, and so they wanted to acknowledge it. But then I think they very, very pointedly brought out Kelly Marie Tran playing across the stars, the love theme, pretty much right after they discussed Storm Pilot. And it's like, yeah. you're not being subtle, guys. You're really not subtle. I think they have to be careful with the Storm Pilot stuff, honestly. Yeah. Like, I don't know. Maybe it's because I'm bi. I'm more, like, I feel really sensitive about this stuff because yeah. it was just super exciting to have a gay couple in Star Wars. Like, no one is disputing that, but... If that's not where the story's going, they need to kind of steer clear of the queer baiting. Yeah. Right? No shit. Like, because you don't want to get people's hopes up. Because if, if you are consciously referencing it, people can say, oh, well, you kind of implied that this is where we were going to go. Like, yeah. you know, you, you almost promised this to people. Like, I'm sure they don't see it that way, but they have to be careful. Because, like, giving it a nod in of itself, like, maybe they consider that progressive. But if it's not where the story's going... Yeah, it might backfire on them. They have to be careful. Yeah, no, they do, and and I think there's also the risk of saying, "Well, we know you really, really want Storm Pilot, but here's what you're actually getting," um, and that was kind of the message that came across to me. And it's like, mm, I'm not sure how well this is going to go down. Yeah, because um, I think they said like, "How how does that relationship blossom or something?" It wasn't like in strictly platonic. They were clearly alluding to it as like a potential romance. Yeah. Which I don't, I don't think that's what's going to happen. Like as you say, they were being quite heavy-handed with the stuff with Rose. Yeah. Um, almost to the point where I know you were saying too. Like, it almost got me a bit suspicious. I was like, is this really going to be the story? Because it's not yeah. exactly going to be a surprise at this point, is it? <laughs> yeah. No. It's like it's so sledgehammered. It was like literally with stuff like Kelly talking about like how. Rose is a big fan of Finn and like saying how she's wearing a Finn shirt to Celebration last year which she did and um, we've seen the photos I can't believe um, they actually reference that themselves though <laughs> you know like we've said it before but yeah. always in this way of like someone spotted her on the floor and she was wearing a Finn shirt but they actually pointed it out themselves it makes it seem almost cynical doesn't it yeah <laughs> like this is like the seeds of our future PR campaign so you need to be on that floor wearing a Finn shirt Kelly go <laughs> Yeah, and they've had John Boyega like talking about how wonderful she is in interviews and how excited he is for us to meet her. And mm. and I, I do wonder if it's part of managing the expectations, like you say, that obviously a lot of people had kind of assumed after The Force Awakens that Finn and Rey were going to have a romance. And then other people assumed that it was going to be Finn and Poe, or at least were hoping for that. Yeah. So it's like, okay, they have to start steering people in this direction. Yeah. So even though Rose wasn't in the trailer, they they have people who were watching the panel either in person or on the live stream it's kind of starting to introduce people to know actually this is going to be Finn's journey and this is going to be the person who really affects his development most in eight because that's yeah. what John was saying again in interviews afterwards that um, it's going to be very interesting the way it goes down between them. Yeah. <laughs> With Force Awakens is ironic because everyone loves those characters but I think the issue might almost be that they loved the characters too much 
<laughs> um, because obviously everyone like fell in love with Ray, Finn and Poe and Kylo and wh- whatever. And we've had like one and a half years basically to percolate our thoughts and build our expectations and develop ships and everything, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and because we've all like bred these heavy attachments, to these characters and like their potential relationships, etc., that means that there are very heavy expectations about what are going to happen, about what is going to happen to them. And I think that does make it really hard for like a new character like Rose to come in at this stage because that is inevitably going to be disruptive because no one in their fandom straight after the force awakens was anticipating that there was going to be this other major female character entering the mix and completely like altering the dynamics between people. Cause yeah, like I'm sure for some like Finn Ray fans and Storm Pilot fans, Rose will probably be perceived as like the character equivalent of of a torpedo, like smashing into their ships in the sea. Um, and it's really hard because I feel sorry for Kenny Moon Tran, the character in a way, because they should not have to deal with that kind of baggage. But at the end of the day, that's just a fact. And it is inevitable that that's going to be a factor, like in that, that character's introduction. So yeah, I think we're seeing them try, start to grapple with that. They might not be doing it in the best way yet, but hopefully they'll get better. <laughs> yeah, I think that's why they had John talking quite early on about how excited he was for us to beat her. Because it's like if she's got his seal of approval, you know, like... If we're looking at Finn's hero journey, like it makes sense for him to meet this new character who's going to start challenging him on, him on things. Because, yeah. you know, in The Force Awakens, Ray calls him out when he tries to reject the call and leave. Um, and he does turn around and decide that she's, you know, he cares about her and he's going to go back and save her from Starkiller Base. Yeah. But but now what, you know? Because especially as she's gone off to find Luke, it's like there there has to be someone else brought in to help him with his development and you know not in like a patronizing way but just that he meets someone who challenges the way he looks at the world and maybe he helps her too because yeah that that was something he was talking about in the panel as oh she was I can't remember (laughs) they were both (laughs) talking about the fact that she's going to be this maintenance worker at the resistance who um you know rises to become a hero herself you know Mm. so it's almost like that has quite a cool parallel with him as a stormtrooper yeah there's this um, sense of like this humble like beginning where you wouldn't expect much from that person, but then they like rise to achieve these incredible things. Yeah, exactly. They have more to them, um, yeah. and yeah, like you, you can kind of see the potential there for how they're going to pit off each other and kind of spur each other on and achieve something together. Yeah. So. No, it's really cool, and I really like the um, like just I liked Kelly Marie Tran. She was lovely. Yeah. And I'm really excited to see her in the movie. Um, and I just love the first picture of Rose as well. And I know it's like a cliche and everyone is saying this at this point, but she really does look so adorable. <laughs> yeah. It made me laugh because I was like, oh, that's the radar technician. You know? Like, <laughs> yeah, there's have... really so much potential for like crossovers or like Matt, the radar technician, getting together with Rose, the uh, <laughs> mechanic and stuff. Yeah, I thought that was awesome. Yeah, it's going to be really cool. Um Right, and then we obviously had Mark come in to the room. And yeah, he was wearing like a very sleek black get-up, very Return the Jedi Luke, very foreboding, potentially, depending on how hyperactive your brain is. Um, And yeah, he was just talking about the nature of Luke's involvement. And he said, um, to a certain extent, it's not Luke's story anymore, but I think he's an important part of the overall arc of the saga. And again, there's a lot of mystery about him, even within the film. You have to fill in your own backstory. 
Um, so Kathleen Kennedy butting in, she basically said, he is so significantly important to this next film, Mr. Modesty. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it was a bit cringe to watch it. It's like It was a little awkward. Yeah. Because you know, I, and this isn't the first time that Mark said this about Luke, right? That it's it's not really his story anymore. He's not the main hero. And the, the unspoken thing is there that, that Ray is, yeah. you know, or at least in that side of the story. Obviously, Finn is in his own. But, um, you know, like, it changes the dynamics of, and what your expectations will be for the story if he is not the protagonist. Because yeah. he can't be, because that's Ray. Um, he's there to support her development. And obviously, he's going to have an interesting arc of his own if the writing is good. Yeah. But, um, oh, it's a bit like, I know they've obviously been worried, especially after The Force Awakens, where they, you know, Luke fans did not really get to see him. So their expectations are built up even more. Um, and Kathleen Kennedy is obviously, you know, trying to almost do damage control there to like make sure that those fans don't feel disappointed or confused as to why the hero of Star Wars is no longer the hero. Yeah. Um, but it, it just can't be that way anymore because he's gone through his hero's journey, you know? Yeah. And it almost might be that to aid Ray's, he has to regress a little bit and have this crisis of faith that she then comes and helps him out for. Yeah. And I know that some people have not been quite positive about this idea that like, oh, why should this random girl come in and help Luke Skywalker? It's like, because that's the story, you know? Yeah. <laughs> it's about her her journey now. It's, mm. yeah, it's a little awkward. Yeah, no, it was a bit cringy. Um like, and I'm definitely more inclined to trust Mark's comment rather than Kathleen's because I think Kathleen in that situation, she's probably hyper-conscious that there's a massive crowd probably filled with thousands of people who just adore Luke Skywalker and for yeah. a lot of them, just their dream Star Wars movie would probably be two hours of Luke using the green lightsaber to like slaughter stormtroopers that'd probably be like the pinnacle <laughs> Um and yeah, I think there's just this consciousness of the fact that for those people, the idea of Luke taking a back seat to this young girl who they're probably not as invested in because she's not the hero they were watching in these films as a child, like they're not going to be as gripped by that story as they are by Luke's story. So I think Kathleen was just trying to bring it back around to Luke to say, no, no, don't worry. There's still lots of Luke and he's still super, super important. So you please don't freak out. Um, see, I think that's what was going on there, but... Like I think Mark is doing the right thing in trying to modulate expectations because, of course, it's Ray's story now. Like, yeah. the Star Wars movies like are always about like a youth, a young person, bringing hope to a hopeless galaxy, and that's not Luke's place anymore. He's already done that. It would be very repetitive if Luke were to be the savior of the galaxy again. Um, so yeah, people should prepare. I think for Luke to be secondary, but he's still very important, obviously. Look at his freaking face on the poster for a start. Um, but yeah, like he is going to be someone who like facilitates Ray's journey without actually dominating it. I think. Yeah, I think Dave Filoni said something over the weekend. He was like, "Every generation needs their own Star Wars." Yeah, you know. So this is obviously like they are catering to older fans as well because you know the existing fan base is important. But Star Wars, and George Lucas said this too, he was like, no one wants to admit it, but it's kind of for 12-year-olds. Yeah. You know, it's a coming-of-age story for young people. It's that mythology. Um, it's kind of, it, it it shows young people how they can make a positive difference in the world. Yeah. You know? Like, that's no, what it's for. Definitely. So, I I really hope some people, like, you know, it's great to love Luke. I'm really excited to see what they're doing with him. He, he hasn't, 
he's not been my favorite character i know he he's your favorite from the original trilogy I've said before that Han is mine, yeah. but I'm actually really excited to see what they've done with him because I think it's going to be super interesting that they're they're not taking that easy road of him being like, oh yeah, I can fix everything. Because if he was going to fix it, it wouldn't be there wouldn't be any need for Ray. Like this, the story wouldn't even be told because this is about what happened after Return of the Jedi when everything went wrong and Kylo Ren fell. So if if Luke was able to fix it, none of that would have happened. You know? <laughs> yeah, exactly. It would have already been neatly dealt with, and the events of the Force Awakens would have been completely redundant and probably not occurred. Right. It's important to point out that during this whole panel, they were periodically shown pictures behind, mm-hmm. um, and some of these pictures were freaking amazing. Um, and they're really exciting and intriguing, especially in particular cases. But it's the kind of situation where we can't really have an honest discussion about them without talking spoilers. And to do them justice, we'd probably also want to have quite an involved discussion. So we've agreed that we're going to have that chat another time. Probably as a whole other spotlight, to be honest, because there's going to be a lot to say. Um, yeah, and it's going to be extremely interesting to discuss them. Uh, one superficial, completely non-spoilery thing I can say about those photos is that Carrie Fisher's costumes look amazing. She looks yeah. so good in The Last Jedi. And I'm really happy because her costuming in The Force Awakens, it just wasn't doing her any favours at all. Like, they were either really bland or like really predictable costumes. I liked the dress she wore at the end, but we only saw that for a few seconds. Yeah, I, I did like that. And it was easily the best thing she wore in the movie. Um, it still wasn't particularly flattering in my opinion but yeah i just like love like the robe she's wearing and like the cloaks and everything just suits her so well mm-hmm. and is the kinds of things where if i were carry i'd have probably t- said hell yes give this to me <laughs> like taken off to wear at formal events and stuff so it looks so great yeah i remember she was like joking about how she looked like a a gas station attendant <laughs> for most of the movie because she's just wearing that kind of like tunic and pants and boots and it's like come on you can give her something more exciting to wear i know they were like trying to make sure it was clear that she's no longer princess leia you know she's a general yeah but she can be glam too yeah exactly and i really like that it seems like for the last jedi they're really doing leia as like a regal figure yeah and that's like the emphasis they're putting on for her character so yeah i'm really excited it's gonna be really cool um yeah, and one thing that I found really, really interesting was what was not said. And the biggest elephant in the room was probably Kylo Ren. Mm-hmm. Um, did you feel that as well, Kirsty? I did. Yeah, at one point they sh- they put up on screen um, a picture of well, Kylo was in the middle and then they had Hux and Phasma on either side of him and they said, oh yeah, the First Order are back, you know. But they didn't talk about any of the characters specifically. And it almost seemed like they were hinting at the fact that Adam Driver was going to come out because obviously a lot of the other stars had, but then he didn't. So I don't, I don't know what happened there. Like if they were like amping it up to introduce something else or did you get that feeling when you were watching it? I, I totally did. At that point I was like, Oh my God, they're bringing Adam out. And I got really excited for a moment and I could sense this like, swell of anticipation in the crowd in the room. Yeah. So it was just really vocalized like, excitement, presumably for Adam to show up. Um, but yeah, he didn't. Um, but then my d- extreme disappointment was immediately relieved because we saw what Kylo was going to look like in The Last Jedi. Mm-hmm. And while this was really shown without any comment at all, it was just very much done in passing. Like, oh yeah, there's the First Order connection with Finn. Um, and then, like you say, they showed this montage of free photos of Kylo, Hux and Phasma. And Hux and Phasma look the same. And 
the most surprising thing is that Kylo looks pretty much the same as in The Force Awakens. Because at first I really had to squint to see, wait, that's a scar? Really? really? That's the scar? Because obviously in The Force Awakens, he had this enormous gash across his face. And I thought best case scenario, there was going to be like quite a thick red line going down. But yeah, same. in the final version, it's like, nope, little pencil mark. It's practically faded to nothing. It's Yeah, like it's a great advert for Bacta, to be honest, and it's healing powers. <laughs> wow. Yeah, give me some of that, please. Yeah, I honestly wasn't expecting them to show unmasked Kylo in any of it. Like, no. you know, not at the trailer and not any promotional images on the side as well. So that was a pleasant surprise. But yeah, like you, I was just kind of surprised that the scar had faded so much. Mm. Um, because we've talked before about the kind of the the symbolism behind that of Ray scarring him like that so so noticeably. Yeah. Um, I don't know if they originally intended for him to have a more noticeable scar, and then you know we're practicing with makeup and decided it, it didn't quite work for the character or what. But um, I think most people have been surprised because I've seen people like putting together these funny posts of like what we were expecting, and there's all this fan art of him like losing an eye and losing his hair and like looking more and more like this decaying Sith Lord, you know? Um, so it's not what most people were expecting. Like I, I know that we're kind of in the camp who think of him as like this dark Byronic Prince. Like that's kind of the archetype that they're <laughs> yeah. going for, but still I thought that the scar would be something kind of prominent. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. Yeah, no, sure. I was very much taken aback by his appearance and like even just like the nature of that photo, because he has like such a soft, benign expression on his face. Um, so I guess like if you think back to the first publicity photos of Kylo we saw when he was masked, he all had these like very like stiff, like typically Star Wars villain postures, you know, like wielding the lightsaber, looking very menacing and scary. But in the first image of Kylo Ren in the Last Jedi that we saw, he's literally there just like looking very like contemplative and like a little bit sad and yeah it's very like, it's, human exactly it's very humanizing and it was just not what i was expecting at all um i was very pleasantly surprised um like you i was not expecting them to promote maskless kylo at all but it seems like they've gone the complete opposite direction and instead they're just totally doubling down on maskless kylo because mm. there is no hint of kylo's mask apart from in the trailer where it's shattered um and yeah, there's a lot to say about that um, and right. what it could potentially mean, um, which we'll get to in due course. Um, but yeah, just really, really interesting stuff. And the way they didn't talk about that character at all, like I don't think they even mentioned the name Kylo Ren. No. Um, it's just really striking, especially when they like project the poster behind them. And yep. Right there, Kylo's enormous face next to Luke's enormous face. Like, and they're the only three characters on the poster. Mm -hmm. So they're making it clear that this character is highly, highly significant and important, but they're not ready to talk about him yet. And yeah, I just find that very, very interesting. Yeah, I'd be interested to see, because like you say, like this wasn't what we were expecting from marketing, especially this early. I was expecting them to go with, oh, Kylo's darker than ever, to kind of subvert the expectations, you know. So it'll be a real twist when people get to the actual film. Um, but I do wonder if this is part of the whole needing to manage expectations because just like with the the 
J.J. Abrams' commentary for The Force Awakens, he had to like set the record straight on certain things. It was like, no, actually, this isn't Kylo falling into darkness. This is him experiencing an incredible amount of instant regret after killing his father. Yeah. And realizing, like, regret means he realizes he shouldn't have done it. <laughs> yeah. You know, uh, that's huge. Um, mm. But uh, there's so much anger from the, the wider fandom for what he's done. Of, of course, you know, Han Solo is a very beloved character that I feel like they do need to start steering people in that direction that he's not completely lost, you know. I mean, yeah. he, he feels lost in a sense that he doesn't, he doesn't know where he's going. He feels lost in that sense of an existential, like, what am I doing in my life? But it's not like he's lost the darkness for good, yeah. which is uh, what maybe some people thought by the end of The Force Awakens. So Totally. Um, right. I think that's probably a good point at which to move on to our next item of discussion, which is the first like main, main reveal of that panel. And that is the Last Jedi poster, which we have been sp- <laughs> practically swooning over, to be honest. Yeah, it's um, beautiful. <laughs> yeah. It's like, oh, I, it's so beautiful. I want to cry. <laughs> oh, my God. Yeah, I just freaked out as soon as I saw it. Because when I saw like the close-up of Ray, because I was watching the live stream, I was like, oh, wow, that's really cool. I love how Ray looks. And then when he zoomed out, I was like, oh, my motherfucking God. <laughs> <laughs> I was not expecting that remotely for a moment because I'd been shocked that they'd shown that image of maskless Kylo like just casually behind them on the screen mm-hmm. but that alone did not prepare me for seeing that enormous image of him on the poster alongside Ray and Luke mm-hmm. um, and yeah I just think it says so so much there's only three characters on that poster and they are very clearly two Skywalkers Luke and Kylo and then Ray beneath them, like separated in like quite a realm of her own, pretty much. Um, and like she's the light dividing between them. And yeah, it's just loaded with so much symbolism. I feel like I could write thousands of words about it, to be honest. Oh yeah, same. Like, and I love that it's drawing Luke and Kylo together as family because mm. one of my criticisms for the Force Awakens has been that they didn't emphasize so much that Kylo Ren was a Skywalker. Yeah. Um, I mean you know, obviously objectively people can understand that, but I think because there's been such an emphasis on Ray's parentage as oh maybe she's a Skywalker, that it's like, you know, you know, whether he's the antagonist or not, he is still part of that family and and matters. Yeah. Um, and his and Luke's backstories are intertwined. Like that's that's the story that we're going to get as to why and how he fell and and how Luke was part of that. Yeah. Um and then, yeah, like you say, Ray coming in the middle and having to kind of navigate the crazy family history of the Skywalkers. Yeah. And yeah. it's so interesting. So I really think that Kylo is also positioned on this poster to seem very reminiscent of Anakin. Yeah. Like, he does remind me so much of Revenge of the Sith Anakin. And I've seen lots of other people say that as well. Um, and I absolutely think that's intentional because you just get all this mirroring and all these like suggestions of lineage weighing on people and dragging people down. So naturally, like the ghost of Anakin is going to weigh on Luke, that knowledge of all the evil things his father did, that is going to be on his mind constantly, uh, as is the betrayal of Ben Solo and his fall into becoming Kylo Ren. Mm -hmm. And just as equally, Ben Solo forward slash Kylo Ren is heavily, heavily shaped by like his uncle, Luke Skywalker's teachings. And the fact that his grandfather was Starfader. Yeah. So I think it's presenting all 
of those layers like just in this brilliantly simple and impactful way so it's just great design because there's so much storytelling in that without using any words at all and it's just really effective yeah i do think they are laying on the the anakin comparison is pretty thick it's not just from this poster but the new positioning of the scar is quite mm-hmm. similar to anakin's from revenge of the sith and we've talked before about um the his new costume is quite reminiscent of some of the concept art they were playing around with for anakin too yeah um so he's he's going that way he's not becoming more like vader because he was quite like him at the beginning of the force awakens or at least he appeared to be yeah like that's what they were obviously consciously emulating like that's what jj james has talked about that they have this character who was weighed down by that family history and the knowledge that his his grandfather had been that you know iconic sith lord and he was desperately trying to become him as well but couldn't um so yeah like i i feel like it's it's really quite heavy with the symbolism right like if you're going that way with the character it seems to hint that he's becoming more human not less yeah no totally um and I, I think Ray herself like, is also really interested in the light that's emanating from her saber. It forms the Jedi Order symbol. Yeah. Um, and we know that the last Jedi is going to have this heavy emphasis on the law and like all of the history leading up to the formation of the Jedi and in particular what went wrong with the Jedi to say the Jedi need to end because he clearly does not have a high opinion of them at this point. Um. So yeah, it suggests that there's some kind of return to like a purer, like more like pristine version of the Force, and that Ray might like embody that, or Ray might be the person who actually stands a chance of being able to enact that in a way the Skywalkers could not, because they have all this like baggage associated with them due to like the decades and decades of history that have been going on there. Mm-hmm. Um. Yeah, oh, it's so cool. I just look at it and I just like, oh, I'm in love. Yeah, I've I've seen some people criticize the poster because it doesn't feature all of the new like characters. Like, it's mm. obviously very focused on one side of the plot. Yeah. Um, and I think there's something valid to be said about the fact that you know Finn isn't on the poster and was only in one shot of the trailer. Yeah. But you know that I think they're going to emphasize one or the other sides of the plots in various um, marketing materials. Yes. I think there's almost too much story here to to market both sides simultaneously. Yeah. So the trailer seemed quite heavy on the Jedi side of it. Obviously, Luke was talking over the top, and you had glimpses of what was going on in the Resistance, but it was pretty fleeting. Yeah. Um, but, but yeah, so I would expect the next poster or the next trailer or whatever to kind of focus more on what Finn and Poe and Rose are up to as well. So Yeah, no, it should be really nice to see. Like you say, this poster is very clearly only focusing on one aspect of the film, which is presumably going to be the Force plot, where Rey is the protagonist and Luke and Kylo, these central figures in her journey. Um but yeah, that doesn't mean to say that there's not also going to be a story for like Finn and Rose and Poe and Leia and all those other characters. Of course there is. I I think it really does just drive home the fact that this, these stories are going to be very separate for the most part because there's no hint really of a world beyond those characters in this poster. Yeah. Like it's very, very like focused on them as individuals and like their stories and what their interrelationships are going to be in this movie. Um, so I think that's going to be one very like distinct and clearly focused part of this movie 
alongside this whole of the plot where Finn is the lead and he's got his story going with Rose and Poe and everyone. Um, and I understand that because I think in a way if you try to like integrate Finn into this element of the plot then he'd have probably inevitably been like shortchanged somehow because you can't really have two different protagonists fine for like attention in one single strand of the story if that kind of makes sense yeah like you know they they need a, a main character to carry each side of the story right so and you know Finn's arc in the force awakens was kind of him finding an identity outside of the first order and as john was alluding to with what he was saying in the panel it's him trying to figure out like is that identity going to be with the resistance or is it going to be something else entirely yeah like that is his path in episode eight so if he was on this poster i can't even think of where they would put him because that's that's not relevant to his arc yeah um that seems to be what they're saying you know they are quite they're being quite blatant about the fact that Finn and Ray's journeys have diverged. They'll probably come together again in nine because they need to make the overall story cohesive. Um, but yeah, it just, it just wouldn't work to have Finn on this poster somewhere. I don't, I don't it would be a completely different design. You know, it would be more like um, what I can imagine we'll see in the um, theaters that you'll have more of those traditional composites like you had for celebration where you just have all of the different characters, you know? Yeah. So this is more thematic. Yeah, those were really beautiful and striking. And it also reminded me of um like something I've brought up before about how like Luke and Kylo, they both want to teach Ray. Like their own interpretations and their own versions of the force. Because you literally have like Kylo gasping, You need a teacher like some kind of fool <laughs> at the end of The Force Awakens. And he's obviously not very effective in making that offer at that point. But I don't think that offer is going to go away. I think we're likely to see that return in The Last Jedi. So I think he's still going to believe that there are things he needs to tell her and there is guidance she needs that Luke will not give her, either because he doesn't know it or because he's not willing to share it with her. So, yeah, I think we're almost going to see Luke and Kylo as like these rival figures of influence in Rey's life and that it might even ultimately come down to a choice between them. Like, then that could be like a big, big twist. Like, what if she goes off of Kyla? Drama yeah. and shock. Um, and, and just like with the original trilogy as well, I think what's actually going to end up being the overall message is that it's Ray teaching them, you know? Yeah. And not through experience, because obviously they have more experience with the Force and they're trained and all that. But um, just because that's the nature of a hero, right? They come along and it's through their own personal values and optimism and bravery and what what have you that um they kind of revive and restore so yeah no something that goes back to like those comments daisy made about like us seeing actually ray self-determine her own fate Mm -hmm. in the last jedi because you can't just have her be this like passive recipient of what other people are telling her she's going to have to like take her experience and her views and her feelings and actually fire them back at Luke and Kylo and say, okay, well, it's all well and good. You're telling me X, but this is actually how I feel about it and why I think you've gone horribly wrong all this time. What right. do you think about that? She needs to challenge them and she needs to have her own input and like be the person who calls the shots in the end. And I absolutely think that's going to be what happens. I don't think it's going to be like a story where Ray is manipulated and like tricked into doing things. No. Although 
it's possible there might be an element of that because obviously heroes need to make mistakes and they need to go down the wrong paths occasionally in order to learn from those experiences but ultimately i don't think ray's going to be like treated like some kind of fool or something she's an intelligent young woman and she's going to be able to like make reasonable decisions based on the information she gets and what she sees and observes yeah for sure like her her introduction into the the lives of the Skywalkers is going to be what helps them with their arcs as well, you know, like yeah, yeah. She's going to be the one who kind of brings things back to a, a more stable position, right? Yeah, like, yeah. It's like red is this like color of like foreboding and danger and intensity, and Ray is not really the one who's like consumed by this color. Luke and Kylo are. Because they're the ones like who are kind of like in these deep funks, yeah, and they're in these awful situations that they don't feel like they can escape from or like there's any way out from them, and so, so sure that they each know what to do, you know. <laughs> yeah, exactly. They're like both dogmatic. They're both convinced that they're correct and that everyone else is wrong and that they're just not being listened to. It's quite childish in a way. Hmm. Um, and yeah, I think Ray needs to come along so that she can knock them over the head and teach them some sense. To be honest. <laughs> <laughs> I think they both need it. Yeah. Um, but yeah, just it's such a beautiful poster and I can't wait to get on my wall. Are you going to get yours framed, Kirsty? Oh, definitely, yeah. Yeah, it, need, it deserves it. <laughs> it's precious. Um, right, have you said all we want to say about the poster? I think so. I mean, I'm sure we'll come back to it at a later date because there's so much going on there and it'll probably feed into other things as we learn more about the story itself. Yeah, no, totally. It's so exciting. Right, <laughs> And then the next thing is that there's obviously <laughs> a trailer <laughs> for The Last Jedi. There would have been riots in the streets that had not been a trailer for The Last Jedi. Um, and yeah, basically, before I say anything else, I want to explain that we're not going to be doing like a really detailed breakdown saying, oh, in this image, Ray is doing blah, and this means blah. Um, because we really genuinely think that needs to be its whole own discussion. We can't do that justice while also summarising the other things that happened at Celebration because there's simply too much. So we're going to come back to that and do a whole other spotlight or maybe even a whole other episode. We'll have to see um, on that particular topic. Um, But yeah, I just wanted to more make this like a general discussion about that trailer and like what our feelings were about it. And yeah, so what was it like seeing that in the room, Kirsty? Oh, it was fantastic. We were so excited. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, it was a fantastic atmosphere. Um, And yeah, there was so much going on that I'm glad they played it twice because even then, like I've had to watch it several times since then just to kind of remember all the different things that are going on. Um, And obviously you only get these little snapshots of things. It's a teaser, so you're not supposed to get an overall sense of the plot. It's more like overarching themes. Yeah. Um, And I'm guessing because, you know, like they did with Rogue One, The Force Awakens, Quite a bit of this probably won't end up in the final film. It's just kind of supposed to give you a taste of what might be there. Yeah. Um, but yeah, I was really pleased with it. Like, it's going to give us a lot of things to to chew over. So. Yeah. No, I, I really liked it. I thought it was um, like a very effective trailer, and it did what it needed to. So it's really just a teaser. I need to say teaser, not trailer. <laughs> um, and I think it was just a great mood setter because it really did establish it as something very, very different from The Force Awakens. 
because The Force Awakens is obviously like a much more like jaunty and jolly movie. And I'm not saying there's not going to be fun in The Last Jedi. Of course there is. And Ryan's been quite outspoken about wanting to make his film a blast and an adventure and stuff, which is great. Um, but yeah, you really do get the idea that it's digging deeper and actually get into the meat of things because there's lots of criticism for Force Awakens because people found it quite superficial and like a blatant retread of A New Hope. And while we might not agree with that, um, I'd like to think that The Last Jedi is going to course correct for the people who were unhappy with what they felt was the superficialness of The Force Awakens by actually really like get into the meat of things and challenging the characters and throwing them all these like interesting situations and raising moral dilemmas and questions that you probably probably wouldn't have even occurred to you before you saw the trailer. Mm-hmm. So I've watched reaction videos and like just seeing people's like expressions of utter confusion. Like when Luke says that the Jedi need to end, <laughs> people are like, what? Well, I mean, it's the called the last Jedi. <laughs> so he wants to be the last Jedi, right? I think it's absolutely fascinating that essentially Luke and Kylo want the same thing. They just want to go about it in different ways. <laughs> You know, they both yeah. want the Jedi to end, but it's been, you know, strongly implied that Kylo wants the Jedi to end by him killing the last Jedi, which is Luke. But he's saying, you know, I can't be a Jedi anymore. Like this has to, the order has to stop. Like something has gone wrong here. Yeah. Well, you know, we don't know the reasons yet, but presumably we might find out. Mm. Um. So, yeah, I think it's very interesting that they essentially have the same goal. They're just going about it in very different ways. Yeah. No, it reminds me of like religious schisms because. Yeah. Like ultimately, the Christian religion is all about the same things: getting people to like acknowledge like Jesus as the savior and belief in God and everything. But you find people like you find that these schisms form because people will like, disagree on like the finer points, and then there'll be even more schisms further down because they'll disagree on even finer points. And yeah, it's just so interesting because there seems to be something inevitable about those kinds of splits and disagreements with humans and when you actually step back from it it kind of looks a little absurd (laughs) but it's never absurd to the people themselves of course because like it is all about those details and about the approach and everything um but yeah it's so fascinating that luke and kylo have the same goal but presumably very different reasons for thinking that or different ways of wanting to achieve that goal yeah and i liked that the trailer kind of drew attention to the fact that ray is going to struggle um, and you know, she says that she senses the light and the darkness and the balance. And and then Luke says, "Well, there's so much more, you know." Um, and like Ray is supposed to be kind of the audience's um, point of identity as well, the point of entrance to the story. So, you know, the audience has this kind of basic understanding of the Force that there is light and the darkness, mm. and we're going to learn at the same time as Ray that there's more than that. Because I I know that they do have like the the wider understandings in, in things like rebels and um the clone wars and that but m- the majority of the audience don't that don't watch those shows and might not even be aware that they exist yeah um and through the the trilogies there's been quite this binary right yeah this is the first time that they've kind of explored this more nuanced understanding in the films so yeah it's probably going to confuse some people yeah need baby steps i think <laughs> mm. um 
Yeah, like, again, I found it very striking how little Finn there was in this trailer. And I can yeah. understand why his fans would actually be a bit upset, to be honest, about how the character's been handled in the official promo stuff to be released so far. So it does feel like he's getting, like, short shrift. Um, because there's literally one shot of him in the trailer, and that's him unconscious, presumably right at the start of the film. And I was looking at that, and I was a bit like, guys, you really don't need to conceal that, because it's obvious that he's going to wake up, like, what are you going to do? Just have John Boyega like film Finn sleeping for the whole movie? Yeah, like, just I... have him like wheeled into shots. Like while well, he's asleep, it's like he's obviously going to be conscious, and he says as much in the panel. So there's no need for secrecy in that. I did wonder if a lot of the footage comes from the first act, mm. or what would end up being the first act, and then um, it sounds as if Finn's side of the story will be more plot driven. So if they show more of that it might give more of the story away I, I don't know what do you think yeah i definitely think that's possible um and i agree with you that most of what they show most of what they showed was first act stuff so if you look at ray in particular her hair is always up in the force awakens style yeah um and we know she changes her costume and she changes her hairstyle later on so yeah there's every reason to believe that everything that we see in that trailer or at least to be sh- clear everything that we see in that trailer concerning ray is stuff that happens relatively early in the film Mm -hmm. um and yeah i think that's inevitable at this stage because they're going to want to keep any big surprises and twists and plot developments out of the trailers um so yeah that's like a reason why they didn't have too many shots of finn but i don't know guys it just would it have killed you just have a shot of like finn looking dramatically in an obscure direction that would tell you nothing but at least say hey he's awake (laughs) it's like yeah Yeah, and they didn't show him anything of rose either so i know you know they obviously had kelly at the panel and they introduced the character and they had an image but most fans out there in (laughs) in the real world will just watch the trailer so they might not still be aware that she's been cast and that Mm. she's going to be part of finn's story yeah, they're going to have to work on that later. I also found it interesting how um, there were quite a few shots that we know were shown to the Disney shareholders in like that sizzle reel that were not here. Mm-hmm. So in the Disney shareholders video, apparently there's like a shot of Ray surrounded by lights, like ethereal lights, n- nowhere to be seen. And there was also a shot of um, Finn and Rose um, in that sizzle reel. And again, nowhere to be seen. Um, so yeah it's just interesting it shows that whatever was shown to the shareholders it was a different thing from what the celebration audience saw it looked like they had some hints in the photos of things that would potentially have been part of that sizzle reel but again that's stuff that probably goes into spoiler territory yeah we'll have another Um, discussion about that yeah and I wonder if that stuff is like further along in the movie so they didn't want to spoil people too much yeah Um, one of the things I've um, seen a lot of discussion about was um whether the dialogue was all from like Luke, the male dialogues, obviously the female dialogue was all from Ray. I think it is all from Luke, isn't it? Yeah, no, I'm pretty much convinced it's all from Luke. I've seen some people suggest that like there's a line, I only know one truth. I've seen quite a few people suggest that that's Kylo, but I well, really don't think it is. Yeah, it's said while Kylo's on screen. So Yeah. And it, it interestingly, it does kind of sound like something you can imagine Kylo saying because he is very like, this is the path and I know, you know. Mm. Um, So again, it kind of brings a parallel with Luke and Kylo, right? That they're both very sure that this is the truth. This is the way it has to go. Yeah. Um, 
So yeah, I think it's interesting that it's something that Luke's saying, and yet you can you can, can imagine that Kylo Ren would say something similar. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, because I've said before about Kylo being like this dark mirror of Luke, um, and everything we've been getting from like that line being overlaid with Kylo in the trailer to the poster image itself, it does seem to be reinforcing that idea that like Luke and Kylo they are reflections of each other. I like, can not necessarily in a simplistic way of Luke being the good one and Kylo being the evil one, but like in the sense that they they're almost complementary. So they like balance each other out, but they don't want to admit it. Kind of. Yeah. Is it interesting to think about like how Kylo's character was formed in terms of like what Lawrence Kasdan wanted for the original, what, what would have been the revenge of the Jedi mm. um, with Luke potentially going dark and like becoming Vader or like a dark mirror of like, you know, instead of <clears throat> integrating the shadow and staying on the light, mm. that Luke would have fallen to the darkness as well, like emulating his father instead. And that's kind of what they are doing with Kylo, right? As the, yeah. the new generation. So it totally makes sense for him to be a mirror of Luke and to kind of be what could have been had, had Luke, once he found out that um, that Vader was his father, um, instead of bringing him back to the light, following him to the darkness like Vader tried to get him to do. Yeah. Which is so interesting. It's like um, a different path that could have been taken. Mm. A U scenario almost. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, no, so I think we'll probably leave our trailer discussion there because obviously we don't want to say things and then only repeat them later on when we have the more full discussion about it. Um, are there any more like general things you'd want to say, Kirsty? Um, I don't think so. I mean, the shattering of the mask was a huge deal, I guess. Yes. Right? I like, have so many thoughts on that. Yeah, obviously, people know that I'm all for a Kylo Redemption arc, so like that's what it would seem to hint at for me. But I also don't want to be too like, yes, that's definitely what it means. Yeah, because we don't know the context. Obviously, it's completely without it. It looks like it could be shattering on something like a first order ship, or like you know, because it's quite like a cold clinical environment. It looks like yeah, but we don't know who's doing the shattering. We don't know when in the film it happens Mm. or why. So, um. It could be something that's not even shown in the film. It's just kind of a symbol. Yeah. So. Well, it's funny you should say that, Kirsty. So I've actually gone back and re- watched that particular moment like 50 times. No, that's <laughs> an exaggeration. Um, but I have watched that particular moment a lot. And there are lots of interesting things going on there. Um, one interesting thing to note is that you can see smoke coming up from it, which suggests that it's been attacked by like a lightsaber or maybe a blaster, but presumably the safe bet is on it being a lightsaber um it's surrounded by glass which is very curious um my immediate instinct was to think maybe it was in some kind of display case and i know that sounds a bit odd but we do have this idea especially from like the earlier development phase for the force awakens that carlo is like a relic hunter mm-hmm. um so i don't think it's beyond the realm of possibility that it's some kind of like display room or something where things are in cases um and yeah like it would be interesting to me that he'd treat his own helmet as like an artifact and this is obviously going jumping ahead into speculation zone so don't take me too seriously but it's interesting to me that he'd treat his own helmet as an artifact but then for whatever reason become angry enough to actually destroy it and like divide it into pieces of his lightsaber um because i've seen some people suggest that the destruction of the helmet indicates that 
that's the character cast in a way the helmet because he no longer needs to pretend he's evil because he fully embodies that darkness within him so he doesn't need to pretend anymore he can just be what he is and there's no need more need for the pretense that the mask represented but if that were true i don't see why there would be all that anger at directed at the mask because why would you destroy the mask in such a violent and extreme manner if you were like right i'm pretty confident in who i am now and i'm now going to move on and develop as a dark and evil person yeah i've seen some people say that he would destroy the mask because he doesn't need it anymore because he's fully secure because you know in the force awakens it's almost like he's wearing it to compensate for the fact that he's just kind of this young lost man underneath yeah so if he destroys it, that means he doesn't need it anymore and he's fully comfortable on the dark side and that's who he is. But I don't know. It's such a symbol of Kylo Ren, you know? That mask has very quickly become iconic that if he's destroying it, it seems to indicate that he's rejecting that identity. Yeah, that's what the clear reading was to me. Although it's interesting because so much of this does depend on the eye of the beholder. Hmm. Because other people are equally convinced that, like you say, it just means that Kylo is getting rid of the pretense that the mask embodies. Um, so yeah, a lot of it about how we see these trailers and these images, a lot of how we interpret them is based on our preconceived notions, of these films and these characters and where they're going to go. Um, but yeah, I do think there's merit to our interpretation. And there's also merit to the other interpretation, of course. I just, I can't explain why if Kylo were merely moving on and were more confident in himself, he would need to destroy that mask because I would have thought that mask would have helped him on his journey to becoming dark. It's not like it's a barrier to his becoming dark or an evil or anything. So why destroy it? But mm-hmm. yeah. yeah, so many questions. Right. Then there is another in mother load, basically <laughs> of information and it's almost impossible to scratch the surface of this because there were so many interviews to come out from The Last Jedi because straight after the panel, the cast went to meet the press and there were loads and loads of interviews. Um, so yeah, I've just tried to select a few choice ones and Kirsty, if you know of any other interesting ones, then please do feel free to bring them up because there's so much to say. Um, yeah, and I think you alluded to this interview before. But one interesting thing was how I think Daisy and Mark were being interviewed by Nightline. And and I think Mark was also being interviewed by, about the same topic by Fandango. And he elaborated on his comments. So I think I'll use Mark's Fandango comments and Daisy's Nightline comments. Sorry, I know it gets a bit confusing. Um, but yeah, basically they were asked, when you guys read the script, were there some big surprises in there even for you? And Daisy said, yeah, I went to Ryan's office and I was like, we need to have a talk about what's happening with her. <laughs> and Mark said, I think you'll find some things that will surprise you. They certainly surprised me. I said to Ryan, I think I fundamentally disagree with everything you've decided for me. Now, having said that, I have to accept it, get my mind around it and do my best to realise your vision. Once I got into it, a lot of my fears went away. And those comments, man, they are so interesting to me. <laughs> Yeah, and I think it's all part of them kind of preparing the audience for a big surprise with these characters. Yes. You know, like like you say, people have gone become very attached to Ray from The Force Awakens, and I think that's great and definitely a testament to the story and Daisy's acting. Um, but she's expressed concern before that she's a bit like, oh, I wonder how people are going to react to Ray's development in Episode 8 because she is going to have challenges and she's not always going to be 
so likable necessarily you know she yeah. might make mistakes and make decisions that people don't agree with yeah um, so yeah I, I think they're trying to kind of put that out there just as a possibility so that people can start taking it on board yeah it's about expectation management I think yeah and it doesn't it, it's expectation management but not in a way that's like oh the story won't be great or exciting like it's just it you know the second act kind of has to do something unexpected with the characters right to keep things yeah. interesting and keep you on your toes and wondering what's going to happen in the third act so totally yeah i actually find these comments really exciting so suggest to me that ryan's actually doing really bold and interesting things because yeah it's very easy to develop notions and expectations about what these characters are going to do after that famous scene on the cliff edge when ray's holding up the lightsaber and waiting for luke to take it um but our expectations are not the best decider of the story there are going to be more interesting and exciting directions for it as long as you think outside the box a little and really dig deep and try to like think a few steps ahead of everyone else in terms of the bigger picture um so yeah just this prospect that something really like big and dramatic is going to go down that we don't really have any concept of yet that's really exciting to me Mm mm-hmm so yeah, nice comments. Um, right, and then the next one I've included was from Daisy talking with Fandango. And this is just really brief and it's kind of funny. And it's obviously Luke doesn't even know who she is when she turns up. And yeah, I, I just love Daisy because at every opportunity she is, as far as I can tell, she's trying to like say, no guys, I'm not a Skywalker she's getting as close to saying that she can without violating her NDA. That's what I see. Is that what you see, Kirsty? I do, but again, I'm not going to pretend that we're not coming to this from our own bias. Oh gosh, um, yeah. We're very biased, yeah. of course. I would say that if she's a Skywalker, this is kind of a strange way to go about it. Like, <laughs> yes. talking about it, you know? Like, saying that Luke didn't recognise her, I think there was something in the script, I can't remember the exact wording, but people were kind of led to believe that he did know her. Yeah. I think I think what it said, or what the overall message was, that he knew why she was there. Yes. And people took that to mean that he knew who she was and like that she was from his past, presumably, and that must mean that she was his daughter or, you know, yeah. Leia's daughter or whoever. Um but they're they're setting the record straight here again, you know. He didn't know her. There's that line that we heard from the sizzle reel from the shareholders that was like, who are you? Mm. Um, so, yeah. I <laughs> I do think they're trying to drop subtle hints. And there was a bit in the panel where Mark was like talking about Daisy and he was like, oh, my door. Oh, I mean my coworker, you know, like, <laughs> yeah. ha ha, I almost let it slip. Um, because and then he promptly went on to call John my son. Right. It's yeah. almost like they're poking fun at it which I'm not sure is the best strategy because people get quite attached to their theories and headcanons. And, yeah. you know, I saw people quite upset when they, they did that jokey PSA with Felicity about how Jin wasn't Ray's mum. Yeah. So they have, they have to handle it in a way that doesn't upset fans and appear like they're being condescending. I kind of wish that if she isn't a Skywalker, they'd just come out and say it like clearly <sighs> and openly so that they can just move on from it. Because I'm sure it's driving Daisy completely bonkers at this point. And there's just more interesting things to talk about because you know in every single junket, the journalist speaking to Daisy is going to contrive some clever way of asking about Ray's parentage. And she's probably like, no, I'm done with this. Stop it. Yeah, I saw an interview with John earlier that was 
someone was asking him who Ray's parents are. It's like, that's not even anything to do with his character, you know? Ask about Finn. Say asking about who Finn's parents were, which would have been much better. But oh, they they did do that too. Actually, they were like, oh well, you know, are we ever going to find out about Finn's backstory? And he said something like, yeah, none of the characters in Star Wars seem to have parents. You know, (laughs) obviously, there's a big issue with families and parents and stuff like that. But yeah, it must just get tiring to have to answer the same questions over and over again, and knowing that you can't really answer it. You know, so you have to have this way to work around it or like just to tell a joke and yeah they're, they're, they're all champions as far as i'm concerned they're like got patience of saints like i so i really think the worst part of being an actor must be press tours especially when you're in freaking star wars yeah oh. i don't envy them for that <laughs> no it's really not fun um right then the next quote is also from daisy about race parentage she says, it's very interesting because I didn't know, Mark was telling me, I didn't know that when Darth Vader said, I'm your father, people didn't believe it. They didn't believe that it was true. And it was interesting because at the end of The Force Awakens, I thought everyone was going to be like, oh, cool, that's been answered. But it hasn't. And I think that even though a lot of questions are answered in The Last Jedi, I think it's still that thing of discovery. <sighs> um. Oh, and this is from Nightline by the way, um, that interview with Daisy and Mark. And yeah, again, I think this is just Daisy suggesting that she's not a Skywalker. Well, again, I've seen this used as confirmation that she is a Skywalker. So it's really about your personal opinion, right? Oh, yeah. Because some people think that The Force Awakens said, yes, Rey's a Skywalker. And some people just don't believe that. But for me, like looking at the way that, you know, the the mass media kind of jumped onto what they thought the force awakens told them and everything like the dominant theory coming out was that Ray was related to the Skywalkers in some way, whether she was a solo or a Skywalker. Yeah. People have kind of drifted away from the idea that she could be a solo largely, although some people still think she is. So the prevailing theory is that she's Luke's kid mm. and nothing, they don't come out and say that she is like in the yeah. force awakens, obviously like instead we get things like, Maz telling that her parents are coming, aren't coming back, that someone still could, and then Ray says Luke. Um, we get Ray saying that she thought Luke was a myth, and initially JJ was going to have her having never heard the name before. Yeah. So, yeah, from my perspective, it's her saying that it said that she was not related, but people want her to be, so they're still thinking that she is. Yeah. No, I um, that's basically how I see it as well. I think for me, the thing is that with the whole Darth Vader thing, that was unequivocal because it was literally Darth Vader saying, no, I'm your father. Like, that is very a very clear statement of fact that, no, Luke, I'm your dad. Um, deal with it. Um, and there is no moment for that, like, concerning Rey Skywalker in The Force Awakens. It just does not happen. Obviously, many people came out of that film with the belief that Rey was a Skywalker, um, and there are lots of reasons for that. And I completely understand. I initially thought Ray was a Skywalker, so I'm not like judging anyone or trying to say that people are silly or wrong for thinking that. I completely understand why people got there. But the fact is that there's no statement to that effect in the film. It's just a series of like visual callbacks and assumptions and expectations all brewing together to form that idea. Um, and yeah, I just think that there's more going on in terms of actual information 
when Miles tells Ray, whoever you're waiting for, they're never coming back. That, for me, is the no Luke, I'm your father line in The Force Awakens because it's saying your parents are dead as far as I'm concerned. Um, but yeah, that is my personal interpretation like on the basis of what I saw in The Force Awakens. So I fully accept that other people see it differently. Um, but yeah, it, it's just so interesting how so much of this depends on people's perspectives. Yeah, I'm very curious to see how they handle this in the lead up to the next film, like whether they will eventually outright say, okay, she's not a Skywalker. Yeah. Or if they leave it for the film itself to answer, because even if it does, and I think Ryan had another interview where he was like, oh, it's going to be addressed, like Ray's parentage will be addressed, but it's not like you'll get the full story. Yeah. And I think I think what he's implying there again, this is from my personal bias of re- reading the story, is that you'll know that Ray is not a Skywalker, but you won't necessarily know who her parents are. Yes, that's so. pretty much what I get. Or at least... I think it's possible you might like see her parents briefly in a flashback. Like you might see them definitively killed, for example, you know, to like clear that up once and for all. But they might not be named. They you wouldn't get much information, if any, on their backstory. And so there'd still be loads and loads of questions concerning that for people. And then there'd come up more and be more of a thing in episode nine. Um so yeah, I think that's a very plausible interpretation of that. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Right, then the next comment is Daisy talking about race status in The Last Jedi and says, I think I'm not the chosen one. I think that remains to be seen. I think Rey has been. She has some kind of something that goes beyond explanation that she's kind of like trying to follow. But also she's being told that she should do this and that and the galaxy needs saving. So there's a lot of that going on. So I think in terms of sacrifice, she really up until... I mean, the whole way through The Force Awakens, she wasn't making many of those decisions. Other people were making them for her. So I think it's great, because in The Last Jedi, she kind of gets to take some control over what's going on, which she's lost. It's obviously awful, the devastation that happens in The Force Awakens, but Chewbacca is her constant friend, and Finn gets back on his feet in The Last Jedi. So it's all good. (laughs) Uh, yeah, I, I really like this um, comment since I think it matches up quite well with things we've been saying. Um, yeah. Like about Rey's place in The Force Awakens and how she can seem like someone who's being pushed around by forces that are much greater than her without like much control over her own destiny. Because if you think about it, she's swept up in the whole Finn and BB-8 business almost by accident um, just because she happens to come across BB-8. Um, and like then they're on the run like almost without like a plan and they're just like swept along by all these circumstances then she's literally swept away without like her permission when Kylo kidnaps her and then even at the end she has to fight more out of necessity than like because she actually wills it or planned for that to happen um so yeah it's really exciting to think that in the last Jedi we're going to see that change and Rey's going to be the one who self-determines and decides like more carefully and like more in terms of her own self, like what she's going to do and why. Yes, there wasn't enough of that in The Force Awakens, which was kind of like the entire point. Yeah, like you said, that's something that we've talked about before with like Ray. She has agency, but um, she's still trying to figure out what she wants, right? Like she, she defined so much of her life by waiting for her family yeah. and then gets pulled off of Jakku through events that aren't in her control. And then there's, Everything happens so quickly throughout that movie. It's like one thing after another. 
that it's only really now she's got to work through that she's going to have time to sit back and kind of figure out what it is that she wants yeah. or what her own values are because she defines so much of her life through this one thing. And it, she was in survival mode, right? So if you yeah. think about like Maslow's hierarchy of needs, she's now given that luxury. Like she's not, you know, spending every day just trying to survive and find food and shelter. Um, she can move on from that and figure out what her, her values are. Um, she's found friends um in relationships and she needs to figure out like okay so i have these powers what am i am i going to use them for and she's going to have people on either side trying to influence that for her but she's just it's a decision that she has to make for herself so i think that's really cool yeah no absolutely and i also find it interesting if you think about ray like even going the act of going to luke's island we don't know how much of a say Ray had that in that herself. Obviously, yeah. she agrees to go along with it because it was part of Leia's goes... overall mission, right? Yeah, exactly. in, in the crawl, it said that Leia was trying to find Luke, so yeah, she she sent Ray to him, and it's, there's so much left unsaid at the end there that you don't even know. Like, does Ray understand why she's going? Does she understand why Leia chose her? Yeah. Um, what's her plan when she gets there? Is she going to stay with him, or is her goal to bring him back to the Resistance as soon as possible? There's we don't know for sure, you know? Yeah. So she's going to kind of hand in that saber and kind of hope everything's magically fixed, but she might not have even thought it all through. Yeah. It seems like Ray's there to enact Leia's will rather than her own will. Hmm. And I think she's going to be confronted with things that force her to actually assess things and think, wait, is that this actually what I want to do? Do yeah. I want to be here? Do I want to be in this man's company? Um. Yeah, and I think that's going to be really interesting. So I think one of the controversial things that might happen, and this is just speculation, it's not based on anything, is that we might actually see Ray be quite selfish because she has been very like heroic and very pure and like this ray of light. Um, and I think we might actually see her decide, no, I'm actually going to look out for my own interests for once. So my whole life it has been about other people, like my parents, my friends, Luke the resistance these like forces greater than myself like i'd like to see her step back from that and think actually what do i need to do for me what's important for me personally um yeah and i think that might see her do things that people would find controversial or shocking yeah i would really like to see that because it would give you a greater insight into who ray is and who she wants to be Mm. and um like Ryan's hinted before that the last Jedi, Jedi is going to be kind of like the adolescent stage of life. Mm. And that's really what that would seem like for Ray, you know, trying on these new identities and figuring out who, who it is that she wants to be and kind of creating that own destiny for herself. Yeah, absolutely. And, and almost rebelling, you know, like, yeah, this is what's expected of me, but is it really what I want? Yeah. I'm going to see her like dye her hair purple. <laughs> <laughs> be nice. <laughs> Get a piercing. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Like, right off on the back of her biker boyfriend's motorcycle. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my God. Um, Right, then the next quotes are from John and Kelly Marie Tran. And they're speaking to Entertainment Tonight about Finn and Rose. And so we start off with John speaking. He says, Finn's a big deal. He's a big deal in the Resistance right now. I mean, you've got to think about it. Between episodes seven and eight, people have now heard all about the amazing things that he has done. And now he's like waving and saying hi to all the resistance ladies around. Nice. (laughs) So cute. It sounds adorable, but also kind of cringe. (laughs) It probably won't be literally like, Finn's famous. (laughs) People asking for his autograph. He'd be like cruising around like sunglasses. (laughs) 
Yeah, he'll have a reputation though, which is cool. Yeah. Um, Kelly's character is an absolute fan of Finn. She's so interested. It takes an interesting turn, though, as they get closer, Boyega teased. The dynamic between them is very interesting. Finn sees a lot of himself in her, and she's still trying to figure out her place. She's not a soldier. She's not a pilot. She's trying to figure out what can she impart that's important to the good fight. And so they both have to figure that out together. She's part of the resistance. She works in maintenance. Like Ryan said, she's kind of pulled into this journey and someone who might not see herself as a hero. And that's kind of how she relates to me. I'm a total nerd. That last part of the quote was <laughs> from Kelly, by the way. Not so <laughs> um, yeah, but what do you make about these comments, Kirsty? Oh, I love it. I can't wait to see these two together. I think it's going to be great. And yeah. he, he mentions the word interesting a lot. So hopefully it's interesting. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Right, like I She's think... so interested as well. Like that pretty much screams interested romantically. Like Sin has a big crush. I would think so. I mean, it, it could also be that she's just very interested in this idea of someone who used to be a stormtrooper defecting and taking up this new cause. But I don't know. I feel like if they're putting these two young, cute, people together and kind of like heavily hinting of like you say they they played across the stars as she walked out and they've had her wearing a thin t-shirt and they've been very clear to point that out it, it kind of hints that her character is going to be enamored with Finn in some way yeah hints of all the subtlety of a sledgehammer <laughs> yeah and you know some people have been speculating well maybe he won't feel the same way back but um obviously we don't know but it, she's going to affect his arc in some way so yeah not sure how an unrequited crush would really work. Yeah. But we'll see. There has to be more going on there. Um yeah. and I like the idea that like Finn and Rose they're gonna be more like that every man and every woman. Yeah. Because if you think about like Luke, Kylo and Ray, it's almost like they're gods on Mount Olympus, like duking it out, you know, they've yeah, you got need these to have like, that... superpowers. You need to have that relatable element as well, don't you? Yeah, exactly. So there's like limits to how relatable like people with magical powers can be. Um and I think Finn and Rose they're gonna be relatable in a very different way. Like they're much more like, humble characters to a degree. But I think that it's going to be about showing these humble people doing these extraordinary things because Finn has already done extraordinary things and that's why he's being recognised and why Rose latches on to him so much. Um, and I think we're going to see them like pull each other along and improve each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah, it's still going to be really interesting and nice to see. Yeah, so, you know, she's he says she's trying to figure out what she can do. Yeah. Like it sounds like she might not have such a confidence in herself at first, maybe. Like, especially yeah. when Kelly's like, oh, I'm a total nerd, you know. That she's still at that stage where she's quite unsure of herself and just, you know, trying to figure out what she can do to really make a difference. And that's kind of where Finn's been at as well, right? Yeah. So I think that could be really cool. Yeah. No, it's something I'm really excited to see. Um, right. And then the last comment we're going to talk about today is Kathleen Kennedy speaking about Leia in episode nine and i got this from vanity fair and kathleen said we finished everything in eight and carrie is absolutely phenomenal in the movie and we're so happy that we were able to complete shooting in the summer unfortunately carrie passed away and so by the time we were well underway with episode nine in our thoughts we had not written the script yet but we've regrouped we started over again in january so sadly carrie will not be in nine but we'll see a lot of her in eight which is great uh, yeah, and this is interesting because we had recently discussed comments from Todd Fisher, who's Carrie's brother, 
where he had said that Carrie was going to be in episode nine, like reusing old footage. Um, we didn't know from where. Mm. Um, but yeah, this seems to directly contradict that. And I don't mean to cast any like doubt or aspersions on Todd Fisher. So I'm sure he was saying what he considered to be the case and what he felt was right. But I'd probably be more liable to believe Kathleen's version here. Yeah, I think the interviewer brought up his comments and Kathleen said, I think he must have been confused. Like there must have been some kind of miscommunication. Yeah. So he might have been talking about episode eight and not realising. So. Yeah, quite possibly. Um, yeah, and I, I really think, he, although it's very sad, the whole situation is tragic. I really think this is the best way to do it because... I, I didn't even, to begin with, really understand how you could take old footage filmed for a completely different scenario and context and fit that into a completely different movie that was never intended to be in. It just didn't make much sense to me. Um, I thought they might reduce her part in eight and then kind of stretch it over nine, but even that, it wouldn't mean that she'd have a complete arc. Yeah, know? exactly. So. I think they'd like butcher it, to be honest. Um, mm. And yeah, so I think the best we can hope for at this stage is something along the lines of them announcing like Leia's death in the opening crawl to episode 9 and then them actually really dealing with the ramifications of that in the first act of the movie yeah it's really going to upset some fans because I know a lot of people you know really wanted to see her art completed but it's it's just not going to work no it's an impossible situation really this is like, what is the better option? Do you kill her off off screen or pretend she's like still alive in universe but never actually have her appear? Um, so I kind of think it's more dishonest and cheap to do the latter because, no, surely Leia would be there. Why mm -hmm. is Leia absent? Um, so, yeah, like, I think they're just going to have to find a way of writing her out. Yeah, which will mean that episode nine changes a little bit, but. Yeah, I don't think it will change fundamental arcs and stuff of the other characters. I think we've said before it might change the journeys to certain destinations, but it won't change the ultimate end game. Yeah. Um, right, then the next part is about the book in comic news relating to The Last Jedi. Um, and news about this kind of stuff is actually quite thin on the ground. And I don't think there's actual synopses or anything about any of these books. So we really just have titles and authors to go on. Although there's sometimes a bit more information. Um, so, yeah, the main thing was that there's going to be a Journey to the Last Jedi line of books. Like there was a Journey to the Force Awakens line of books, um, which is no big surprise. Um, and the titles are quite interesting. So you have The Legends of Luke Skywalker by Ken Lee. Leia, Princess of Alderaan by Claudia Gray. This is awesome. <laughs> um, and Phasma by Delilah S. Dawson. And then there's also been announced a Captain Phasma four-issue comic book miniseries. Um, and yeah, the two Phasma things that are quite interesting is, is, as far as I understand, the novel is going to be like about the origins of Captain Phasma. So like her early life and presumably how she rose up to this quite high rank in the First Order and everything. And then the Marvel comic book series is going to be about Phasma after The Force Awakens. Um, <laughs> which I'm actually quite interested to see. Because I want to see how they write around that ludicrous situation. Where she betrays the whole First Order. Presumably of nothing more than cowardice. And then 
somehow manages to hold on to her position because that makes no sense to me well Uh, i'm wondering if this is going to be like that's partly why this is happening so that they can kind of do some damage control with that because yeah Lots of people, myself included, struggle to take Phasma quite seriously now. Yeah. Um, and if we are right in terms of uh, Phasma being Finn's primary antagonist, they're going to have to build her up. She has to be a worthy villain for him. Yes. So if he's already defeated her by throwing her in the garbage, <laughs> um, they're going to have to make her a bit more menacing again. Yeah. No, exactly. Did you see on the cover to that... Um the first issue of the Marvel miniseries, they actually randomly just have like a panel shown Ray and Kylo fighting on Starkiller Base. Yeah. It's I'm like, how really is sure. that relevant? <laughs> how? Is that because it's like more sexy than Captain Phasma herself? So it's just like a way to make it more interesting. Yeah, I'd be surprised if they're actually featured in the comic, but they're probably just on the art, right? The cover. I'm actually most interested in that comic to see if there's going to be anything like about what the hell's happening with Kylo. And that presumably amazing back to treatment he's getting for that like tiny beauty scar he ends up with. Mm. Um, because great job, whoever did that. Like Seriously, pay them well, because that's some pretty impressive recovery. So it's set after The Force Awakens, but we know that The Last Jedi begins right after The Force Awakens. Yeah. So do we not see Phasma in the first act of The Last Jedi? And these comics will kind of cover that ground. It would not surprise me. My speculation, which I'm not going to go into in any details, so we'll discuss it more probably when we get into spoilers next time, um, is that there's probably going to be some kind of time jump after the first act of The Last Jedi. So it wouldn't surprise me if we don't see Phasma for the first part of the film. And then she comes in with a vengeance in Act 2. Hmm. Okay, cool. But I'm more excited about the Luke and Leia books, honestly. <laughs> Yeah, no, definitely. It will be really interesting to see the mystery blown apart, I think, especially for Luke, because there's been so much like of like concealment and mystery around what Luke's been up to. And yeah, it'll be really cool to get some more insight into that. Um, and I also like just the title. So we don't have a synopsis for this book, but Legends of Luke Skywalker, that to me suggests that these might be the kinds of stories that Ray heard on Jakku from traders and stuff, you know, Legends of Luke Skywalker. Mm. So I really like the idea. So they might not even necessarily be 100% factual. Yeah, it might be an unreliable narrator kind of thing. So, that, you know, they can have this book, but if they need to, they can actually adjust expectations afterwards for the film. Have their cake and eat it. Yeah, basically. Yeah. And yeah, obviously Claudia Gray is one of the most acclaimed like writers working in Star Wars. So it's really exciting to see her writing a la- another Leia book. She did such a great job of Leia and Bloodline. Mm-hmm. So I'm really excited to see her writing about Leia at a very different stage in her life when she's still a young woman. Yeah, that's awesome. Can't wait for that. Yeah. And I must say with the um, Phasma novel, don't get me wrong, like Phasma is far from my favourite character in The Force Awakens. But I am interested under the condition that that book actually deals with the rise of the First Order as well. Because I think there's a hint in Empire's End. There's a description of a tall girl who seems to be one like the children who's been recruited for the Stormtrooper program. that, Or what, at least what will eventually become the Stormtrooper program. And it's kind of suggested that she might be Phasma. So if Phasma were there from the beginning... And then we're going to kind of see like the build-up of the First Order from that perspective, like the child's perspective. I'd actually find that quite interesting. Mm. You might even get a glimpse of Hux in that book. <laughs> I'd actually expect more than a glimpse of Hux, to be honest, because um, 
in some of the Journey to the Force Awakens books, they actually show like Hux and Phasma like chatting and deciding. Oh, really? And stuff. Yeah. Like, oh, I, I, I wouldn't say they're like best buds, but they seem to be like professional colleagues who have like serious discussions about things. So they clearly have a relationship of some kind. Okay. Um, so yeah, I'd expect to see that, and it'd be quite cool. Yeah. Um. Right. And then the last thing to talk about is Battlefront 2, which is obviously a video game. And there are some Last Jedi specific elements that we wanted to talk about because um, they were interesting and relevant to our interests. (laughs) (laughs) Um, So yeah, the most striking thing is that they released a promotional image of Kylo as part of the advertising for this Last Jedi Heroes package. And... uh, Fangirl alert, I'm sorry. I'm so sorry, guys, if you don't like him with Fangirl. But he looks gorgeous. <laughs> he does, though. <laughs> he looks so gorgeous. Like, he just looks, like, sensitive and, like, sad. And it's, like, all the stereotypical depictions you'd imagine of Kylo from helplessly besotted Fangirls, basically, but in official promotional art. And it's, like, nice. <laughs> yeah. I, I think it's becoming clearer. Um, maybe not to everyone, but to us, <laughs> that Kylo is a character kind of created partly to appeal to that demographic. And um, yeah, like the the way that the scar is depicted, obviously, and the the way that he's like brooding, blah, blah, hair and the new costume and everything. It's like, yeah, they know what they're doing. Yeah, it's so interesting because um, there was lots of speculative fan art of what Kylo might look like. And in some he's bold, and some like he's got an eye missing, um, and there's just generally all these like hideous, horrific depictions of him that clearly riff off this idea that Sith have historically been pretty hideous, um, to put it kindly. Um, and yeah, it's just so interesting to see them going completely in another direction with Kylo. Sometimes I felt like some of that art was like people taking out their hatred for the character on. <laughs> On him, like, oh, we'll punish him with a nasty scar and this and that and that. He won't let you be beautiful anymore. <laughs> well, because there's also been a lot of, I don't know, I don't, I won't call it concern trolling, but there has been a lot of like hand wringing think pieces from the wider fandom and media that, like, oh, girls shouldn't be romanticizing this character. He does terrible things. I'm sorry, but the the story at like the. The creators themselves romanticized this character. J.J. Abrams romanticized him, and now Ryan Johnson's obviously doing the same, and whoever's in charge of his look and costume and makeup, and that's obviously all going to be overseen by people at Lucasfilm. Mm. Like it's, a, it's a group effort. Yeah. I think they knew what they were doing when they cast Adam Driver for this role. Yeah. So I, I completely get why people might not like that, and it's you know problematic depending on how you look at it. Mm. But that... That archetype is something he's always been popular. So yeah. that's the kind of story we're getting here. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. No. I'm just kind of running out of patience with people pretending that that's not an intentional part of the the story and that these silly fangirls are kind of bastardizing it to suit their own agenda. Like, no, this was a villain created with that that kind of female gaze in mind. Yeah. It's not going to be for every woman, obviously. Yeah. But it's, you know, it's intentional. Yeah. No, it's, like I saw someone like bring it up on like a forum they described the poster as featuring like a grizzled old man a handsome young man and a beautiful young woman and like just on the pure surface level yes that is what is there 
and it's just interesting how a lot of people don't like to acknowledge that and or they act like it's immaterial and it has absolutely no bearing on the characterizations and their interrelationships with each other um because it does make a difference that Cardo is young and attractive and that they chose not to hideously deform him. But they easily could have because the scar in The Force Awakens was so severe. They could have given him like the mother of all skin infections and had half his face fall off. But <laughs> that is clearly not in line with their vision for the character. Yeah, this is what I mean when I come back to Star Wars primarily as a fairy tale because gender and age and appearances do matter. Yeah. Um. Sometimes those those things can be subverted so you can have like you know, this old hag in disguise and she's secretly a beautiful princess. Yeah. And and to an extent, you kind of get that with Kylo Ren, right? That he looks like a deathly figure, like a, you know, he looks like a kind of quasi Vader yeah. at the beginning of The Force Awakens. And then he unmasks and you're supposed to recognize that when he unmasks, he's actually this beautiful young man. Yeah. Like it's all intentional. It's all part of the story and the archetypes and the themes that they're telling through the story. And it is very important that that kind of antagonist has been designed to be the antagonist for this young girl. Yeah. So Exactly. I don't know. It's very interesting. Um yeah, and then again in Last Jedi, relevant stuff in Battlefront. Um, in the trailer to Battlefront Two, there's an interesting sequence where you see Kylo fresh in like a series of first order officers, like in flinging them against walls and slashing them with his lightsabers. And it doesn't seem to be like normal like rage binge Kylo going off on one like because he's pissed about something it does seem more like a rebellion or he's like turning against them or something and yeah it's just very interesting to me that they choose to depict Kylo in that way like why have him go against the first order in the trailer why not just resistance people it seems very odd Mm. was that definitely from the components of the last Jedi because I I read that it was also like pre-TFA stuff that could have been yeah, I like he was wearing the helmet, so that would point more towards like TFA or pre-TFA. Um, but you see, yeah, like I don't want to read too much into it. It's a freaking video game, so I know they say that Battlefront Two is canon, but at the same time, it's not like Ryan Johnson is going to be like biting his nails over. Oh my goodness, we're not lined up with Battlefront Two. We need to go back and change everything. <laughs> Yeah, um, when when they say these video games are canon, I kind of take that to mean that the wider story and the setting, like the battles, are canon. But obviously the characters, you can make them do several things. It's hard to tell as well from the footage whether this is like um, actually part of the game that you're doing or like it's a, I don't know, I'm not a gamer, so I don't know the terms, like when you have just a, a piece of video in between the gaming elements. Oh, cutscenes. Yeah. Yeah. So... I'm not sure. Yeah, it's all a bit ambiguous, and because in the trailer you also saw saw Ray running through Takadana, right? But yeah. I don't know if that's part. Like you can play Ray. They don't actually. I don't think they actually mentioned that you can play Luke and Kylo, but they didn't mention Ray. Hmm. I'm pretty sure you must be able to mention. I'm pretty sure you must be able to play as Ray, but uh... okay, it must have just been the article that I read that didn't mention her. Yeah, I'd need to double check that though. So don't take me at my word, people. <laughs> um. Yeah, so basically don't take any of this too seriously. It's just fun Easter egg stuff because that we're bringing up because it is The Last Jedi relevant. Um, yeah, and then there's also been some stuff about getting special abilities for Rey and Kylo um, with this special Last Jedi pack. Um, and yeah, so you get stuff like two epic ability modifiers for Rey with enemy mind control. 
Next. Whoa. I know, right? That is interesting. That is interesting, right? Because <laughs> people identify mind control and mind reading with Kylo. Yeah, exactly. They very much do. Hmm. Um, and it does obviously tie back to Rey when she's mind controlling the stormtrooper to let her free from the chair. Hmm. So I think it's just a growth from that. But it's interesting that they'd present it as like a defining ability of hers. Yeah. In this game. Because it's certainly not a very benign ability. It's quite a sinister one. Well, that was something that was associated quite strongly with Obi-Wan Kenobi, right? Yeah. You see him do that in the original trilogy and the prequels. So. Yeah, exactly. And then this is less intriguing because we know Kylo does this stuff. <laughs> but it's two epic ability modifiers for Kylo Ren to freeze and pull opponents with the Force. So yeah, no massive shock there. He's very good at freezing and pulling <laughs> Oh, as we've already seen, he demonstrates it very well on Ray and Mataka. So, so look at me, I'm very good with the force. <laughs> Not that Kylie sounds like a derp like that, but still. Um, but yeah, I wish I could play this. I can't because I'm pretty sure Battlefront is for PlayStation only, and I do not own a PlayStation. Sad, sad times. Um, but yeah, in like a lovely alternate universe where I own all the consoles and can play all the games I would have definitely played this because heck yes I'd want to pay as Rain Kylo that'd be freaking awesome yeah I, I probably won't be playing it either but I'll be looking at some videos to watch other people doing it so. yeah watch Let's Play <laughs> next best thing Um, right yeah so is there anything else you'd want to bring up really about all this celebration drama and reveals or do you think we've covered everything in exhaustive detail apart from the stuff we've deliberately said we're not going to discuss right now yeah i think this stuff we'll definitely go into in more detail at a later date mm. um trying to think i mean they said that the next season of rebels season four is going to be the last one yeah which we kind of expected but it's interesting to get that confirmation and the trailer they were kind of hinting that um kanan and Hera would be like End game to use like shipping terminology. <laughs> I mean, yes. they basically are already. Come on, but yeah. um, it's nice for the shippers there to get that healthy hint. So yeah, it's good. Gives people hope. Yeah, uh, I can't think of any other. There weren't like major announcements. You know, we didn't get like a, the Obi Wan spin off that everyone kind of thought we would. Yeah, I love how um, even I did this. To be fair, so I, like I'm not going to be a hypocrite. Um, but yeah, I loved how we were all like, oh, there's definitely going to be an Obi-Wan announcement, definitely going to be an Obi-Wan announcement. No, no, no Obi-Wan announcement. There was so much hype and so many rumours floating around. Like, I think it's because everyone really wants it that they think if they can just keep saying it, it'll become true. Yeah. And in retrospect, um, like you definitely took the um, higher ground there by um, <laughs> being the more cautious one and not committing to it. So kudos well, to you. Yeah, I'm just not sure. Like, you know, I'll wait for the announcements because you never know what's going on behind the scenes. It must be very hard to coordinate all that kind of stuff because from a fan's perspective, it's like, well, he's the right age for it and he says he wants to do it. So what's the hold up? Yeah. <laughs> but it's probably a bit more complicated than that. So Exactly. Um, right. So I think this is a good place to wrap it up. If you have any questions about anything that we've brought up here about The Last Jedi or Stars in general, please do email them to scavengershorde at gmail.com. And you can find me at Star Wars Nonsense on Tumblr and Journal of the Star Wars on WordPress. And how about you, Kirsty? I'm Bastila Bay on Tumblr and Scavengers Horde on Twitter. Thank you so much for listening, people. And we are so, so excited to continue covering Star Wars. This is a great, great time for us. We are now truly on our element. <laughs> <laughs> okay, bye. Bye.